Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. With that, today's guest is Chaz Scott. Chaz is a keynote speaker. I bring in published authors, published writers, and he's a mindset expert. But here's something interesting about Chaz. Have you ever felt like you're lost? You don't know how to find success. You don't know what your passion is. You've studied, you've done all the right things. And suddenly you hit that place of, oh, what happened? Or, you know, many people are coming out of the pandemic and we're reevaluating our life. We're trying to figure out, has what we've been taught really helping us close the gap or get to the next level? Well, Chaz was a new, you know, he found this new belief within himself, which led him to work alongside nuclear physicists at the National Laboratory, what many consider to be the smartest square mile on the earth. And they encouraged him to start a nonprofit sharing the importance of positive thinking with youth to combat mental health stigmas. And so today, what we're going to talk about is what he discovered, what he can share with you. And a few of the things that he's learned along the way. So, how you doing, Chaz? Hey, how you doing, Denise? Thanks for having me. I'm doing excellent. Okay, so everybody says that. And in my work, because I'm an executive coach, everybody comes in, I say, hey, how you doing? And they say, excellent. And I stop them. And they, they once they work with me a little bit, they all go, okay, I know what you mean. What does excellent <laughs> mean? <laughs> because we often just go, hey, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But are we really good? I am honestly good. And the times where I may not be feeling good, I know how to balance my state. So I am good. Today's Friday. The weather's getting a lot less humid in the D.C. area. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. Oh, good. Good. So for those who they don't know you, obviously, they can go to your website, chazscott.com, and they can learn more about your story. If you had to boil it down to a few sentences, a few captions and whatnot, how did you get here? Oof, a few sentences. Just give me five sentences, just a little <laughs> more. Um, so I guess the breakdown is I went to Hampton University, studied computer science and got my master's in cybersecurity. Through that process, I was kind of going through a probably, you know, what they call the hero's journey, trying to discover and understand myself. And I ran across a book called Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, and it completely changed my paradigm on how life works for me. And what I realized was my life and my results didn't change until I changed my internal dialogue or what people call their self-talk. And what happened was my life completely changed, started getting internships, started getting jobs, starting to have a new sense of self. 
And I begin to teach these mental wellness workshops in the Baltimore and DC areas for youth ages 11 and 18, where I provide like fun, interactive mental wellness tools. So they have the tools to use before adversity happens. And then from that point on, I mean, I grabbed every book I could on psychology, theology, subconscious mind, neuroscience to try and understand what's really going on in the mind and then how to teach people how to live better lives based upon where they are. And that led me into mindset coaching and teaching corporate seminars. Um, And really, I'm at the intersection between success and wellness and helping people encourage them to live a healthy lifestyle, which contributes to a results-driven life and more fulfilling, happy, purposeful lives. So let's unpack that. The skeptic in me is popping up here because we hear, I mean, we see this on shelves. I mean, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, books filled with these books, et cetera, et cetera. So when you talk about the intersection of success and happiness, What's that intersection? Intersection between success and wellness. Oh, excuse me. So it really kind of stems from, I think, especially in the Eastern part of the world, we're kind of thrown into a society that basically says unconsciously to us, go get the money, go get the car, achieve your goals, achieve your grades. And we're kind of thrown into this mission-driven, burnout results-driven, hustle-driven lifestyle. And what I find is that most high achievers, they'll put in 80-hour weeks, they'll work as hard as they can to achieve and do things to live a better life, but they're not focusing on their what I like to call their internal core needs, which is your mind, body, and soul, engaging in more exercise, ensuring that you're understanding your self-talk and how it's contributing to your behaviors and the actions, the non-actions that you're taking, and additionally, meditation and doing these integrative practices that can not only help your wellness needs, but also excel your mental capabilities. And I'm talking about enhanced memory, ability to synthesize information better to make better decisions. All of these health things that we were taught in school, but sometimes it gets hard to integrate them on a full day, actually enhance your mental capacity so you can get better results in your life, whether it be better job, better income, a better sense of self. And that's what I've determined throughout my studies and to basically help people realize that when you engage in your mental, spiritual, and physical well-being, you get better at life. Okay. So you mentioned a couple of times this self-talk. Give me an example of self-talk that limits us and how would I flip that to something that empowers me or helps keep me motivated and stay on the path? And do it in a story. I mean, we all have a lot of self-talk, I think, but what is it? It's a good question. A lot of people can say that is basically a conversation with yourself. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people, maybe when they first heard the term or haven't necessarily discovered their own self-talk, they're more sort of, I didn't realize that there is this small little voice in the back of my head. And actually, neuroscientists have actually discovered or attribute this self-talk to what they call the default mode network, which stands for DMN which is like this self-referential constant chatter in the back of our head. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people hear their self-talk all throughout the day, and it's contributing to the actions and the non-actions that they're taking throughout the day. Um, An example could be a lot of people have a tough time on, 
I guess, maintaining a physical fitness or training routine specifically for me. I do a lot of ultra marathons and marathons, and typically that requires me to run every single day to train. When I wake up in the morning at 5, 5.30 a.m. and do my mile or two mile, I'm sitting there looking at my tennis shoes and I'm trying to literally think myself into going outside. Now, it's if you start to realize this when you're put in stressful situations or you feel uncomfortable, your mind will unconsciously start to have that self-referential conversation with yourself and tell you not to go outside, not to put on your shoes, not do anything that's uncomfortable to get to where you need to go. Now, the space that you need to create and realize and develop this sort of awareness to realize that, oh my goodness, there's a conversation in my head that's happening every single day. My job is to number one, to become aware of it. And then number two, to ensure that what I am thinking is in alignment to my future self. In that case, my future self is ensuring I get across the finish line and my marathon in, a, in about a month from now, right? Which I need to ensure that I put on my shoes and get out the door instead of, oh, I don't have enough time for this right now. I'm too tired, blah, 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 blah. And that script is running through my head. But if I'm not aware of it, I can't disrupt it. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, that's happening throughout our entire lives, especially in new situations or new goals we want to accomplish and new career achievements that we want to progress towards, even in our relationships, there is a small little voice in the back of your head that's influencing who you are and where you're going. It's funny because a lot of the people that I talk to, not funny, haha, but ironic, a lot of the people I talk to are leaders, right? And so one of the small little voices that are constantly getting in the way of our success is around conflict. I have to give performance feedback to my employees. And if it's not an easy conversation, there's 50 reasons why I don't do it. I'd ask them, write it down. What are the key messages you want to tell the person? How do you think they're going to respond to it? What do you think they're going to think about it? How do you engage them to get them to take their thoughts and have a conversation with you around it? And it sounds to me like this idea that you're talking about in terms of self-talk and what gets in our way, those are the small little voices that make me go, I don't really have time to talk to Shaz today. I'll talk to him next week. (laughs) Right, right. And that's so true. It, It happens. It's very subtle. But to your point, I mean, that's a strategy that you can definitely employ. I mean, I have to do performance evaluations in my full-time job. And there are some tough conversations that need to be had, but they need to be had. And one of the things that I've recognized that helps me, similar to what you said, is just writing it down, feeling more comfortable and knowing what I'm going to say prior to saying it, and then realizing where I'm coming from. Am I coming from a place where... I want to empower this individual, encourage them, ensure that they recognize their faults and where they their shortfalls to ensure that they can grow to greater levels of success. And if you come from that space, I think it's a little easier to feel comfortable, but you, you have to get clarity on what your messaging is and you have to get clarity in your thought because when there's no clarity in your thought and writing your thoughts down happen to be a tool to do that, 
then all of a sudden your body just spins up the fight or flight responses and your prefrontal cortex, right? That is engaging in your planning and your, your thoughtful conversation gets thrown out the window. You can't think clearly. So the important piece to that is starting to think clearly and gain recognition of this self-talk so you can have better conversations. In this case, performance evaluations or having conversations with employees. Mm -hmm. So everybody has this self-talk tape going, right? Everybody. To, to my knowledge, everybody. Now, there, there have been said that mystics and, and people that have been meditating out in the Himalayas for years and years and years and years, a lot of them have been saying that what they call their default mode network has essentially been turned off. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, most of us daily working people, we hear this voice constantly. So that's not us right now. Okay. So what are the things that contribute to that default network that you're talking about, that self-talk that really stops us from being the best that we can be. Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, and I always go back to this model when I do my coaching and my seminars is, you know, our thoughts influence our actions, our actions influence our behaviors, our behaviors then influence our character, and then our character influences our destiny. So it all begins with how we talk and think about ourselves that influence like where we're headed in life. So one of the interesting things that I'm sure you know, Tony Robbins, and I'm sure your listeners know Tony Robbins, is that 80% of your success is dependent upon the psychology of your mind. 20% is dependent upon your skills. Okay. So what does that mean? No matter how much knowledge I accumulate, whether it be through books, through podcasts, through mentorship, through watching documentaries, whatever the case may be, nothing changes in your life unless you change your pattern of thought. Nothing changes in your life unless you change your pattern of thought. What you think on a daily basis ultimately influences your life. So an example would be going to a, an amazing seminar, loving the speaker, loving the new knowledge that you've received and wanting to implement it right after you leave. And guess what happens? Most of us, it's very hard to start implementing these techniques because we get stuck back in our comfort zone in our old behaviors. We're commuting back and from work. We have responsibilities with the wife and kids, and we say we don't have enough time. Guess where our self-talk and our thoughts have realigned back to? Not to the seminar, back to your what we call kind of our self-referential storyline that we've sort of built up. That's what tends to happen. I make my money based upon how to change people's minds, how to change their consciousness, their pattern of thought. And it really starts with number one, finding awareness. That's why meditation is so critical. And then number two, discovering ways to change your internal dialogue. And that is really the key to influencing your behaviors and ultimately your results in life. You work particularly with adolescents in this. And I always say adults and adolescents, not a whole lot of difference between the two of them except money and a little bit of independence. That's about it. What are some of the challenges that you have to know going in that they're facing when you start that engagement? Yeah, sure. Just one quick note. I do mental wellness workshops for youth under our nonprofit, but I also do coaching for leaders, entrepreneurs, as okay. well as professionals. Um, so I'm going to 
because I know your audience, what I'm going to do is talk about an example that I've had with one of my coaching individuals. You know, one of the things that I've seen, and it's very important for me to understand, is how they learn and how they take in new knowledge. Okay. So I have them do a personality test. I have them, you know, if they're a visual learner, if they're an auditory learner, it's very important that I understand sort of the conditioned model that they're currently in. Mm -hmm. So I can present information in a fashion that they can take in and go ahead and use and utilize. Mm -hmm. You can't talk to everybody the same way. You can't present information the same way. You know, that's why having a coach, having a mentor, going to therapy, having conversations, that's why those are critically important because you can't just give somebody a slide deck and expect them to change <laughs> their life. You just can't do it. It's, there's, it's very nuancy. People have emotions. People have experiences that need to be brought to the surface to change their dialogue and that self-referential story that they're telling themselves. Because ultimately, if they continue to tell themselves that same story, then nothing changes. So you know that's why coaching and all of these resources are extremely important. So yeah, that's one of the things that I do with my coaching clients to ensure that I present information in a way that's actually going to change and impact them. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the story you talked about where, you know, you go to the seminar, you read that book, you talk to that friend, that mentor, you're pumped when you go out of there. Okay, I'm going to go and talk to my employees. I'm going to walk every day so that I get the exercise that I need. And then I'm sitting there and like, okay. And then I take that first action and I come back and maybe I do, I do it again twice. But then there's like this dip, I think, in our motivation. Does it happen to everybody? And how do I get myself out of that dip? Yeah, I, I don't know if it happens to everybody, but I definitely can say it, it happens to me and it happens to most. And I can speak from experience when I was building out our nonprofit programs. When you're building a nonprofit, any type of business, honestly, you're stepping into a different type of thinking and zone. It's really on all on you to either make a difference or create revenue. And sometimes you feel as though that you don't have the resources. You feel as though I'm not this person or I don't have this money, especially when you've just left a seminar, or Jeff left a coaching seminar. It all comes back to what are you thinking about when you're thinking about your organization? So what do I mean by that? When you come home back from your coaching or back from your seminar and you're sitting down at your desk and you got all this motivation, you have all the energy in the world and you sit back down, you will tend to notice that your self-talk, that same voice that you heard to talk yourself into this very goal will try to talk yourself out of this very goal. And it happens, it's very subtle. And what tends to happen is your perception of what you believe is available to you begins to narrow. And before where you kind of saw a lot of opportunities, a lot of success, a lot of motivation, all you see is obstacles and blockages. Right, right. Because it didn't come easy. And, yeah. And then what, you, what tends to happen is you'll start to identify behaviors or character traits that you have within yourself that are in alignment to this negative self-talk that is influencing, um, negatively influencing your motivation. And that happens to a lot of us. But I think it still comes back to what I said before. It, 
it just comes back to awareness, becoming aware of what you're thinking about when you're thinking about and saying to yourself, what's going on? Why am I thinking like this? Where is this coming from? Is there any evidence to support maybe how I'm feeling right now? Or is this a feeling just of discomfort because I am expanding who I am and I'm becoming a new person? Mm-hmm. And I think changing that dialogue or becoming aware of it ultimately influences the decisions and the non-decisions that you make. And I think personally for myself and some of my coaching clients, meditation happens to be a tool to do just that. Well, before we go into meditation, how do I know that the self-talk, whether it's positive or negative, isn't just part of my how I analyze the problem or the situation that I'm in? How do I know that between the two? Because what I've noticed is there, there's those who are more internal thinkers and so they got a lot of self-talk running through, but then they're external thinkers. And if you sit and listen to them, they're running through all the scenarios. And, you know, if they have a bent more towards negative, you think, oh my God, they're in stress and struggle. If they're more positive, oh, they're too optimistic. But they're really going through an analysis of what the situation is. What are the obstacles? What do they do? How do I know the difference between the two of them? Man, that is a really good question. I mean, it ultimately comes back to probably understanding the results that you're looking for out of your life. So let's go back to this, which is for me, I'm an analytical thinker and I'm using my prefrontal cortex, like most people to analyze a situation to see, should I make this move? Should I not make this move? What are the percentages? What is the best decision for me to make? Now that voice in your head is important Mm -hmm. and necessary so you can make a beneficial decision to your future self. Where it comes to a negative effect is if I'm analyzing a situation and maybe overanalyzing a situation and not taking any action whatsoever, unless I made the decision not to take an action that serves my future purpose, that's where we get into the issue of negative self-talk or self-talk that's not in alignment to my future self. Now, deciphering between those two takes some time. And deciphering between those two also, sometimes it's much more helpful to have a coach, an executive coach, obviously, or somebody that is well-versed in this topic to help you start to decipher what kind of conversation is happening in your head and then how it's ultimately influencing your results in your life. And I think it really just comes down to your results. Are you getting the results that you want in your personal and professional life? And how is your self-talk ultimately influencing those results? Okay. And I think that's the other side that we don't always think about and why journaling is another tool that people can do because a lot of times we pay more attention to what doesn't happen than all the things that go right. And so if you're not careful, and this happens over and over, you know, I've seen it, I've been in HR for a very long time, human resources and talent management, et cetera, for a very long time. The last month of right or wrong tends to be what everybody focuses on. What I focus on and when I'm writing mine and what my boss focuses on and what he or she is writing about me, and we align around the last month or 90 days Versus all the things that might have gone right for eight months or wrong for eight months. And then suddenly we've got a story that makes us comfortable for that conversation out of it. So journaling 
or writing it down, however you want it, whatever makes you feel more comfortable um, in the term, because they're both the same, right? Recording what happened often can be a tool that will help balance out your ability to step back and see, are you getting those results? That sounds amazing. And I, I have to go back to this, which is if you're unclear in your thoughts, oh. then you're going to be unclear in your results. So the strategy that you're talking about is very results driven because, I mean, if you think about it, every time that you write down something, um, whether it be per, on the job or performance evaluation to you know an individual, you're getting clarity on what your overall goal and your messaging is. And that is a very clear tool to do that. It happens to be one of the easiest, but we don't automatically resort to it. And what we tend to do is get lost in our own head and maybe act out of reaction as opposed to consciously responding. Um, and that's one of the mindsets that you can continue to cultivate, which is just be mindful of your overall intent of what you of what you want to communicate to another individual and clarity in your thought and writing it down is one of the best practices that you can do and that's why a lot of people you know when they have morning routines and they talk about journaling and stuff like that that also helps to provide more clarity on who you are and what we call that default mode network that self-referential voice of that story that script one of the best ways to to find clarity in that script or clarity in your story is to write it down. Get mm -hmm. cl get clear, sit down and really figure out what you're actually thinking. We, The average human, Queens University put out a study and said that the average human has about 6,000 thoughts running through their head each and every day. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of thoughts. And if 6,000 thoughts are majority negative and aren't reinforcing who I want to become for my future self, then guess what happens? Thoughts, actions, habits, character, destiny. It's not leading me towards my future self or my future results and outcome. So finding clarity and writing it down, whether it be on the job or your personal life in the morning is so powerful. And so now let's go back to meditation because a lot of people don't meditate because they find the chatter um, is there. And most of the chatter is, is an evaluation of how they're meditating, right? Yes. <laughs> so there's meditation and then there's mindfulness training. Both of them are similar, but they are very distinctive in terms of what they're doing. One is about creating awareness and the other is about, I'm not quite sure always what the goal of my meditation is, but certainly mindfulness training is about becoming aware, noticing how often the negative thoughts are there and learning to let them go. Taking that five minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, that's a tough thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> what do you think, Tips? How do you get your clients to actually do it? Because I think either journaling or meditating are probably the hardest thing to get anybody, to coach anybody into actually doing. Oh, you are so right about that. Yeah, but, you know, I tend to... Um especially with, with, uh, when I'm with my coaching clients, I tend to allow them to do some research on meditation themselves. I tell them the results that you can get from it to sort of encourage them because meditation, you know, some people think it's outside of their, you know, religious background or whatever the case may be, but it's totally secular. You don't have to go off to the Himalayas to get the results of more patience, um, ability to make better decisions, as well as buy down your stress throughout the day so you can have better results in your life. And typically in the morning, 
I actually started meditating probably about six or seven years ago, and it was a tough habit to sort of get into. But once I started to see the results manifest in my life, I started to realize, I think I should do a little bit more of this. <laughs> um, so you mean to tell me sitting down for a couple minutes of a, a, a day could ultimately influence my day 90% of that day just by sitting down, you know, maybe like five to 10% of that day, probably like five. 5%. It really completely changes your perspective and slows things down for yourself. Now, meditation is not about stopping your thoughts. No, 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 no. Typically, you know, what you just said is really important. It's finding awareness of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about self-talk, we're talking about thoughts in general. A lot of people are unaware of how their internal thinking are influencing their external behaviors. Mm-hmm. We act on every whim. We act out of reaction as opposed to consciously responding to life circumstances. And what you do with meditation or mindfulness, I don't want to get too caught up in the, the specific wording. We're all, it's all about finding awareness. What you do is create space between you and your thoughts, between you and what's happening in the external world so you can have a little bit more control over your life. That's ultimately what it's about. Now, meditation is not about getting good at meditation. Meditation is about getting good at life. Mindfulness is about getting good at life. And as you start to create a habit, I meditate in my closet. I'm a closet meditator because I shut off the lights and um, you know I meditate at six in the morning for about 20 minutes and get my day started. But when I do that, I have a sense of self, a sense of patience. I'm able to get into my flow of my day, you know, not feel as, as rushed. And that ultimately contributes to me making better decisions. And what I've found and my coaching clients have told me when they don't meditate in the morning, they feel rushed. They feel like they don't have enough time. They feel like their fight or flight senses are kicking because of the constant pings, the text messages, the Zoom phone calls. You know, when I'm engaging in a conversation with you right now on this podcast, I'm very, very, very much present. Now, why is that? It's because I've engaged in meditation and I'm here and not thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. Now, that takes time and practice, but when you begin to see the results of this habit, your life completely changes. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just Google positive benefits of meditation. Tell me what you get back and just sit down for five minutes. And it's not about, like I said, it's not about stopping your thoughts. It's becoming aware with them and you sit with them. The last thing that I'll say about this, because I'm on a roll here, is when you sit with your thoughts, you're actually developing your focus and your concentration. Why? Because guess what happens throughout our day? We hear the constant pings, we hear the text messages, and we pick them up off whim very quickly. Mm -hmm. That degrades our attention spans as well as our concentration and focus. When you're sitting in meditation and all you're doing is maybe focusing on your breath and you revert back to your breath, you're engaging a muscle and ensuring that your thoughts or your sense of self is in alignment to what you said you're going to do. So ultimately, when you start to think about your phone or start to think about responding to that email, you revert back to your breathing or your meditation and 
you ultimately begin to enhance your focus and concentration on whatever it is that you're focusing on. And this is goes down to the study of neuroplasticity, which basically says the structure of your brain changes in accordance to your thoughts and your patterns and your behaviors. In this case, you're ensuring that you can increase your sense of concentration and focus on your breath, but that also carries with you throughout your day. So when I'm sitting there writing my book, when I'm sitting there on a podcast, when I'm sitting there doing a performance evaluation with an individual, I am here, I am present, and I'm showing up as my best self. That is ultimately one of the best ways to do that. That's interesting because uh, there's a lot of literature and research in terms of this attention and what grabs our attention. You said, how many thoughts a day did you say? Queens University put out a state said 6,000 thoughts per day. 6,000. I remember when I first started 20 some odd years ago, my business, one of the things I went through or studied was marketing. And they said, there's some 200,000 messages you get every day. And the majority of them, 70, 80% of them are unconscious messages, but they do shape how you feel about something. And so that's why most marketing messages, if you use this, you're going to feel better. If you use this, you're going to get. And so that just comes into your mind over time. And it takes seven times seeing it before you become conscious about it and seven more times before it begins to shape your thinking. That's why you see commercials over and over and over, but they slowly seeping into your consciousness from an unaware point of view. And shaping your behavior. That's why you pick it up. You know, I was talking to somebody this morning. They were saying, I'm not losing weight. I need the doctor. I need to do this. And I've tried this diet. And everybody I see is telling me that they did really well, but it's not working for me. I said, okay, remember that all those people who are giving testimonials represent probably on best average 5% of all who buy. And the message that they want is not that 95 aren't successful. Or just like us, we start something, then we get into the doldrums of it, you know, that dip of not believing, not changing your thoughts, not having, being aware of your self-thoughts. And then you go back to where you were. And it just reinforces your belief that I can't do it. So you search for another answer, right? Yeah, no, that's spot on. I'm glad that you brought upon that point with advertising and TV. You know, that's a conditioning process that our minds are being conditioned either unconsciously or consciously throughout the entire day, whether it be mm -hmm. from our phones, TV, the people we surround ourselves with. And similar to your point, I think they had mentioned that, you know, our conscious mind, which is in the, the, the realm of mind and everything that we're aware of, um, seeps in about 50 bits of information per second. But our subconscious mind, which represents a substantial amount of who we are, which is about 90% of us, takes in 11 million bits of information per second. So to your point, there's so much information coming in through our five senses that are influencing our behaviors that we're simply not aware of. And one of the things that I've um, told my coaching clients and in my seminars is I have this tool called guard your mind, mm -hmm. you know, what it, G U G Y M gym, use your gym to become aware. It's basically developing a psychological response and awareness to realize that the people I'm talking to, the music that I'm listening to, the books that I'm reading, as well as the conversations I have with myself are all influencing who I'm becoming. Yeah, A lot of people aren't aware of that. 
So I love the fact that you've talked about that because we have to become aware. Now, one of the things I always do, I have to tell people this is be mindful of what you're watching on TV, what you're reading (laughs) right before you go to sleep, right before you go to sleep, because your brain is cycling down through states of brain waves, alpha, beta, theta, delta. And during those states of consciousness, you actually have a more impact your brain, your sense of self is actually more suggestible during those states of consciousness. It's like when you you watch a scary movie and all you think about when you go to sleep in your dreams, you have a nightmare about that movie. It's basically impressing what you've watched into your long-term storage of your subconscious mind. That's why you have to be mindful of what you're viewing, what you're focusing on, what you're doing, because it ultimately all influences who you become. My tagline on that is be conscious of who's whispering in your ear. (laughs) Absolutely. But the other thing I, all of this brings out is that, and I think it's important that we talk about it just a little bit is, you know, our awareness and our ability to change and make decision is more like a muscle than it is anything else. Willpower is a muscle. Decision-making is a muscle. And I don't think that most people know that. And as any muscle, if you overwork it, it becomes fatigued. And when it becomes fatigued, it tends not to be able to give you what you need to help you make better decisions or lift the weight of what is happening in front of you or even sort through that. And so the beauty of either journaling or mindfulness or just practicing an awareness exercise. You know, there's the ones where you, instead of gulping through your food, you actually eat one at a time and you you feel the sensation of the food going in your mouth or drinking water and feeling the sensation of it. You know, I ask my clients, when you're sitting in that meeting and you're leaning forward or you're leaning back, notice what is happening. What's in the room? What are you taking in? Where are you at? Are you bringing that budget meeting that didn't go very well to that conversation that you're now having? And so what you're transferring is the negative, stressful energy of that into the conversation that you're having right now. So just the, you know, whether we call it mindfulness, whatever, just this idea that A, your attention is a muscle. Your decision-making is a muscle. And if you overwork it, you're not going to get the best decisions. You can't pay enough attention to the right things. And your mind will wander to the place of what happens with a muscle. It's fatigue. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Don't make me lift this. And that's the self-talk that I think you've been talking about uh, on the podcast. Does that kind of put it in a bow? 100%. That is spot on. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Yes. Willpower. There's a book. Can't remember the author's name. Willpower Instinct discusses how to, uh, you know, it's a muscle. Every time you go to the gym, you're picking up a weight. And after each rep, guess what? Your bicep gets bigger. As you begin to engage in this sense of awareness, whether it be in a meeting, whether it be through meditation or journaling, you begin to develop a heightened sense of awareness to realize you know, what's happening with my body right now? Why is this person looking at me like this, right? Or if I'm looking at somebody in a certain way that um, is, is rather strange, but 
100% agree with you. And one of the things that I, I love to tell people, especially throughout their day, and studies have shown this, is your what they call the attention residue of basically we only have a certain amount of attention throughout the day. And we spend most of that attention between the hours of about 11 and 12 in the early parts of the day. So what I always tell people is if you have a task or something that requires your full attention, please place it between those time periods. Of course, this doesn't work for everybody. There's, there's you know, night owls and people, but they have said and suggested over and over again that during those time periods are really where you're going to have the best sense of attention. After leaving into the later parts of the day, past 12, you're actually getting to, you don't have an attention to basically be able to engage your mental capacities to the fullest capability. So that's a a note that I love to give people. Good, good. Well, you know, we've gotten through this and it always goes faster than I think it should. How can people catch up with you, Chaz? Absolutely. So you can find me on my website, chazscott.com, C-H-A-Z-S-C-O-T-T. And I have webinars as well as um, some of my coaching as well. And I'm also on Instagram. I post a lot of videos, motivational content, as well as science-backed strategies to what I like to say, unlock your inner wealth on Instagram at Mr. Underscore Caviar. So that's M R underscore C-A-V-I-A-R. And yeah, you can follow me on those pages there. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.